0: One question I get asked a lot by my coworkers, and I, I, I'm a little frustrated by it, but I shouldn't be because it's understandable. Um, they'll have students who have graduated or who've, who've passed my classes and who will still not know certain things about writing that they assume I should have taught them, uh, uh, whether it's a citation issue or a grammar issue or a mechanical issue. Or, or any of those things, or they'll look at a student's writing and say, this is such bad writing that I don't think this student should have ever passed the, the first-year writing sequence, and you taught them, so what's going on? And usually what causes that reaction is surface-level issues, things that I don't actually consider to be that important in the grand scheme of writing, but that's because writing is my specific discipline, and not just a feature of my discipline or a medium of my discipline. It is the discipline, right? Um, It's sort of like, you know, a historian who's not particularly good at at dates or uh, a mathematician who's not particularly good at arithmetic, right? That seems kind of surprising until you think about most of the work really goes into something bigger than that. And so I, I, I try to respond with that idea, that there are, there's a lot more going on than just those things, uh, than just those surface-level features. And to explain what else is going on, uh, I think that the best way to talk about that is that it's more about how we orient ourselves towards the idea of knowledge, or at least towards information. Um, and I think this is best done sort of by comparison. There is such a thing as a very immature approach to information, and this is with zero critical awareness, zero reflection, you only uh, uh, agree with things because you already believe them, because you like them, because they confirm your, your specific biases, right? This is somebody who gets all of their news from Facebook meme groups and has hidden all of the posts from anyone who they deem to be, you know, one of the, the evil people of the other political party who don't really get it because they're just fundamentally bad, you know? who who talk about arguments as though it's obvious right as well it's obvious this is true because it is right that's that's kind of the worst possible orientation towards knowledge and towards information that you can have uh, no basis in reality only a basis in preference and i think a lot of people are are there in that sort of fundamentally worst possible place um And there's another sort of, I guess, graduated side of that where you look a little bit at least at what makes a quality source or what makes something trustworthy. You you respect the idea of authority. And that, of course, has downsides too. You can respect authority so much that that you don't question it. But in the long run, I think you're better off trusting authority than you are trusting just your whim or what you prefer, right? It's better to be someone who's kind of a bootlicker than someone who is so uh, self-absorbed that they only, you know, uh, like what they like, that most immature level. And so if, if this kind of thing is so ubiquitous, if it's such a huge problem, this immature orientation towards information and towards knowledge, then what can we really hope to gain from writing a bit over a 16 week period? What's the purpose behind these essays as it relates to that? So are we going to really quickly like join the ranks of the scholars of people who are, are really, you know, invested in their field and who've spent a lifetime doing this, um, And I think that that the answer is fundamentally no, right? That you can't just join the ranks of scholars by navigating citation styles correctly or using Galileo search effectively or making sure that you read from academic journals on like two or three topics, right? Um, That's not... That's not going to put you in the ranks of the scholars. It's not going to put me in the ranks of the scholars. That's not how it works. I do think that children, to a degree, have a certain kind of scholarship about them, and mystics, too. Um, and and I know that's kind of an odd thing to say. Well, maybe not. It's, it's, uh, it's a little cliche. But it it's about that orientation towards information, right? Right. Um, so let me give you an example Uh, i just got back not too terribly long ago, over the summer taking my my kids to disney world uh and my wife and i took for just like a quick one day trip after a work thing Uh, uh, our two children to disney world my daughter is too young to know what's going on uh but my son is three and so he is right in that like it is really cool right um and so when we would tell him things about you know why Mickey's not talking here or why he can be two places at once, right? It's all sort of like magical explanations. Um, but rules about magic are rules about perspective, right? There are some things that aren't allowed and some things that are possible and other things that are impossible. And so whenever we do something that's impossible, we must have cheated or perhaps we're just missing a rule, right? That's when our perspective on the world is dominating our perception of the world right? Our perspective is higher than our actual perception. Now for kids, it's a little bit reversed because they'll believe, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, and for them, one of the rules that they have is I can trust my parents. And, and so they will accept things that might violate perspective Because part of their perception of the world is that my parents tell me the truth, right? Hopefully anyway. Um, And generally that is true, except when we sort of bend it for things like Disney. All that to say that when we reverse that order, when we put our own perspective above our perception, uh, we let perspective dictate perception, then we close ourselves off to a lot of information. We close ourselves off to a lot of knowledge and to a lot of ideas, and we also assumed a kind of fixed reality, right? So the general relationship with information is not about the information itself; it's it's about for for the most immature level of of our approach to information. It's about information as a symbol of allegiance, right? We use it like we use linguistic markers to determine in-groups and out-groups. The way that, like when I first moved to Noonan, Georgia, people always asked me, what church do you go to when they first met me? Just assuming that I both believe in the Christian God and that I go to a formal religious meeting. Now, they happen to be right, but that doesn't they they shouldn't have assumed that about me, right? Because what if I, I don't? Really what it was is it was kind of like a challenge coin holding up, like, do you belong? Do you fit in? And it made me feel like I didn't, even though I technically did, according to what they were asking. I really hated that question. um, And so that's how we tend to, to use this are our, our approach to information, right? If you believe these things, if you vote for these people, if you think this is, a, you know, a, a good use of time or a good hobby or whatever, you know, then, then you are an insider. You are on my side. So there's a, a guy named uh, Eaton Hirsch who calls this, uh, at least it, it regards politics, political hobbyism, where we're following politics religiously for entertainment or, and this is the important one for us, identity, right? Um, it's, it's that we get it, uh, we're, we're using it to confirm our identity. It doesn't have anything to do about the our ability to take that information and then work on the world, it has to do with our own ability to to reaffirm or establish our identity, which is why we avoid things that prove us wrong or that would indicate that we're wrong or that it's more complex than we might think because fundamentally that that reads to us as an assault on our own identity. That's one reason why I, I respect and wait for the end of the sentence, the January 6th insurrectionists, right? I think they have completely divorced reality. I think they have divorced reality entirely. I think they're fundamentally wrong, but they haven't divorced action, right? And they're not hobbyists, right? They still think that they can can actually do something. So if that's an immature orientation towards information, what is a mature orientation towards information? And what does that look like for us? In this class, well, there are a couple of things I want to uh, uh, talk about here. And when I wrote these notes for this lecture, this made perfect sense in my head. But I'm looking at them now, and it's going to be a rough go of it. So just stick with me. The first thing I want to talk about is uh, a guy named Michel Foucault, who's a, a French uh, philosopher isn't quite the right word. Uh, he was like a public health expert and historian, and he uh had this idea that wasn't well it wasn't his first idea but it was of doing research as as this idea of archaeology right you are digging through all of this stuff to find hints and to find clues about the origins of things and and what it was actually like right now when we think about history as narrative which is i think what we're used to doing uh, um, it's all about sort of constructing the past. Right, and we do that always. Whenever we look at history, we always construct it. We always bring bias and perspective, you know. Um, and and so that's I'm not saying that we that Foucault doesn't do that or that we can escape that. But I am saying that if we have our our primary mental image is one of archaeology, then we can let go of the idea of having to prove anything true about a given narrative. That's the problem with narrative, and I. I love narrative, but one of the problems with narrative is that it tends to turn into a narrative about good guys and bad guys, right? Because there are rules about what makes a good narrative. And a narrative with no hero or no villain turns into, you know, a, a mush, right? But reality's kind of a mush. So archaeology is a metaphor that allows us to escape sort of the 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 necessary moralizing of narrative. And archaeology is only part of it though because the next step is towards genealogy, right? And and again Foucault is borrowing these terms and an expert on Foucault can tell you where they're coming from in a much better way of how they're used. Then I recommend the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy entry on Foucault if you want to know more about this. But the idea of genealogy is that We're not looking at history as something where there's this inevitable narrative march forward, but rather each historical situation inevitably sort of yields uh, or turns into the next historical situation. And that doesn't necessarily make it better. It doesn't make it more right. There's no intentional sort of directionality to it. It's just that we can point to how we're moving from this to that. And the things that we assumed back then were so true and so obvious that we look at now as so wrong, are still present, but because we're in the moment, we don't really see it, but it always marches sort of inevitably. And you can look at this, you can see this is really true. If you go look at older versions of the DSM, the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual for Psychology, if you look at the older versions, you can see all this cultural and historical bias built into the DSM, and then you look at, I think they're on the DSM-5 now, and you're like, oh, but they finally fixed it. Well, of course they haven't fixed it. It's just that we're in that moment. And this idea of archaeology, which is step one, and then genealogy, which is step two, allows us to at least be cognizant of the the amount of bias and, and cognizant of the, the non-inevitability of our, our virtue that we have in, in the present stage. Okay. That's one idea. Here's another idea. This is the the one that you're going to see in all your writing textbooks. It's the Berkian parlor where there's a conversation going on and everybody comes in and they're all talking and it's too fast. And so you listen for a while and this is him like, you know, it's research, right? You listen, you, you figure out what's going on. You chime in, other people talk back and then you leave, you know, you die. Uh, that's the Berkian parlor. That's sort of his metaphor for what's going on. Um, Two, so that's idea one. Idea two. We're going to do idea three and four here. Idea three is Annie Murphy Paul, The Extended Mind, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brains. Great book, all about how uh, um, this idea of raw intelligence that we have is uh, um, not a good picture of intelligence, right? Because you're actually more and less intelligent on any given day you know, what's the air quality around you that has a measurable effect? How much sleep did you have? You know, uh, uh, how comfortable are you? Um, How clean is your environment? How much stress are you under? How many uh, um, additional mental tasks are you having to perform, right? What cognitive load are you under? There's all these different things about our environment that influence how intelligent we are, you know, on any given task or in any given moment. And so we get outside of the idea of of smart or dumb, true or, or false, uh, and and really get into this sort of more networked sense of self. And then the fourth idea, and this is going to eventually come back into a, a, a salient point, I think, is plant consciousness. And I, I know that sounds like it's super out of left field, but this is a really controversial idea uh, um, that's kind of gained traction in the last few years, but arguing that plants have some kind of consciousness that is so foreign to us that we would not even necessarily deign to call it consciousness, but that there is some kind of decision-making going on that's not just driven by pure environmental factors, at least not any more than our decisions are driven by pure environmental factors. Okay. So we've got four ideas, right? Foucault's archaeology to genealogy, getting outside the narrative trap. The Burkean parlor, where we listen to all the research and we respond and then we die. Uh, the extended mind, right? That we ourselves are kind of a network of things. And then plant consciousness that some things are so foreign that uh, 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 it might not look like something to us, but maybe it is, right? So what do we do with these four ideas and the idea of a mature approach to information, right? Right. I think that this is, wow, this is a real stretch. So if you've hung on this long, thanks. I think that what my view of this class is, is a lot more akin to plant consciousness than it is to to uh, um, the old banking model of education, where there's a certain set number of facts I need to dump into your head, right? Because we could, if we wanted to, spend our entire class time on how to cite things correctly, and how to uh, um, you know quote correctly and how to format things correctly, but I think that ultimately we would emerge from that vapid people for having bureaucratized writing so much. It, I think we would literally be worse people for that. Instead, what I want to do is is put down really deep roots that complicate our approach to an idea, right? And so that when you do a research paper, when you do any research, you're not giving yourself the illusion of of mastery. You're not giving yourself the illusion of having actually done the scholastic work to become an expert in a given field, right? We're, we're getting rid of the idea of expertise entirely, right? Instead, we're saying, look, there's this huge amount of information. There's this huge amount of bias. There's uh, uh, some of it I can trust, some of it I can't, but all of it exists in this kind of nebulous cloud. And I'm not trying to get you to be someone who masters a small, tiny section of, of information. I'm trying to get you to be somebody who is aware of that cloud, aware of all the different swirling forces going on and all of the different pieces of information and the, the historicizing and the yellow journalism and the manipulation and the, the, the genuine attempt that's clouded by bias, right? All of these things, I want to be part, I want you to be aware of them. Right And to to be aware simultaneously of your own ignorance. and and I'm not saying that as someone who's not ignorant. I'm saying that as someone who's I'm keenly aware of my own ignorance. I'm looking at my own notes going, you know, what what even is this? right? But this is my this is you can see why I have I have trouble with my colleagues explaining the purpose of the class, right. It's a, it's about finding our way into the world of information as it is, of reversing the order. It's not it's not about our perspective determining you know, our perception. It's about trying to understand that we have a perspective and so being able to leave it and re-embrace our perception. It's an orientation towards information that doesn't rely on narrativizing towards some moral end, but rather just makes us sort of open to receiving it, right? To having it pass through us, to having uh, 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 having us be, be aware of it and it it's sort of in it its universalism, as opposed to this kind of discrete. I found the right answer because it's published in a place that I've deemed is correct for whatever reason, right? That's what it's about. It's about changing our orientation towards information. So, do I care if you cite correctly? Uh, I mean, in as much as as other people will be reading your work, of course I do. And So I have to grade along those metrics. But primarily, what I'm interested in. It's not whether or not you can tick off these arbitrary bureaucratic boxes that are mostly about showing your given allegiance to a specific side of the the socio-economic and culture wars. I'm I'm much more interested in your ability to demonstrate that you are getting into the weeds with information and, and eliminating as much as you can your own perspective so that you can start to perceive. Um, And I hope you can do it because I need help doing it too. And if you can do it, maybe you can show me how. Thanks.